This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hansen. Thurley Ruxton by Philip Virrell Miguels. Chapter 20 An Imperial Visitor. The following noon, Gaylord received a note that Alice had hastily scrawled. Yesterday I quite forgot this was my afternoon at home. Forgive me and come. We shall expect you. Do not disappoint us. This was signed cordially yours. There was nothing to do but go. Gaylord went and found himself obliged to share the princess with more than the usual number of men. Among them was the Count. Acton was not at all pleased to find Faishi present, and obviously pursuing his one great game in his periodically eruptive manner, Gaylord and the Count were continental acquaintances. They were, in a manner, friends. Their relationship was more in some ways and less in others than one of mere friendliness, since in a deal concerned with foreign securities they were intimately bound together. The matter involved tremendous sums of money. It was planned to involve much more, which should presently materialize as velvet, in which they would share alike. It was all necessary, a secret enterprise, the negotiations for which were being conducted daily at the various phases of a huge flotation developed. Up to the present moment, these two men, varying widely in many attributes, had met with complete accord, so far as matters of a purely business nature were concerned. Beyond that point, and more chiefly concerning affairs of a sentimental nature, they were quite at variance, neither one admiring or desiring to adapt the methods of the other. To find Faishi here, and obviously not a new recruit at Thurley's court, but even somewhat in apparent favor, at least with Alice Van Kirk, was distinctly distasteful to the college man who had once made college widows. He meant to brook no interference by such a being as the Count, no matter what expedients might be found necessary for his elimination from the drama. The Count, for his part, frankly despised Gaylord's methods with women, and secretly sneering also at some of his business tactics, concerned himself but little with a rival whom he felt to be essentially weak in fervor, poetry, and the glamour of the game. On the other side of the complex situation were ranged two dimpled women, with never an armament bristling in view. They had come to understanding and agreement with the utmost ease. Thoroughly from having half decided that Faishi and Gaylord should both be punished through their own devices, had readily succumbed to Alice's added resentment and consented to her plan. It was simply to permit these men to feel as much encouraged as they pleased, and let them await the hour for their own reward to overtake them. To fight with either would be folly, and of the most destructive sort and inartistic. 
Alice was thoroughly aesthetic in her adherence to and devotion to art. As a feminine technician, moreover, she was unexcelled. The battle of unforeseen forces began that afternoon. Not only did Alison thoroughly assume new tactical positions, but Gaylord and Faishi cleared their decks for action, one against the other, while Stuyvesant, Stetson, Algy Dearborn, Kelsey Woods, Beau Bremer, Captain Fowler, and nearly a dozen lesser luminaries took careful account of the enemy's strength and position and plan for, or groped towards some more or less definite campaign. At the present moment the tuneful algae was quite at the fore of the firing line, and was gleefully discharging the weapons he felt convinced were most certain to achieve victory over all who might engage. "'You know, it's wonderful, really,' he announced to Thurley, "'the effect you have on my creative ability.' stirring up the muse <laughs> your oats and barley and all that sort of thing you know to my pegasus real jolly of you too i told you a new one was working up another of my poems i fancy it's a bit original shall, shall i give it to you i should be sorry to miss anything in creation thoroughly answered genuinely amused by algy's manifestation of genius is it very long that's the deuce of it algy confessed i can't seem to keep up the white heat uh, the pressure you know for very long at a time all my poems are short so far though some have a sort of epic swing i rather fancy this one goes oh if i can remember it straight um, oh yes <laughs> it starts off uh, I say it's really all in quotation marks. You might keep that in mind. It, um, it goes like this. I say, said the hare to the tortoise, how comes it that persons import us to run in a race if they mean to efface and in soup and in ragouts to thwart us <laughs> the humorous vein you see uh, neat isn't it <laughs> and contains such a lot i like the line and in soup and ragouts and so forth and after all there's philosophy in it uh, i'm glad it amuses you really it did almost as much as he himself thoroughly enjoyed both limerick and algy thoroughly there was such a relief from some of the men in affairs too insistently serious. I hope your genius will flourish, she told him honestly. Thank you so much for letting me be oats and barley to Pegasus, dear old Pegasus, the many-gated. What endurance some creatures have. Really, I, I never ride him over time, said Algy gravely. You know a merciful man and uh, the rest of it <laughs> better keep him fresh i say if one doesn't wait to become a cropper <laughs> alice broke his spell relentlessly as one who knows the necessity of rotating the crops as it were thoroughly was presently listening to and even smiling at the utterance utterances of count faishi as if nothing in the world had ever happened Later it was Gaylord in a somewhat sullen, wholly selfish, and exacting mood that she calmed and soothed with a softened word and smile. 
with something inherently skilful as well as naive she contrived to impress upon each and every one of her envious and watch watchful suitors the conviction that he above all others had been favoured inducted into a little private corner of her real regard and pedestalled all by himself indeed that afternoon became typical of the days and manoeuvres to follow the game developed all manner of mild excitements and vast necessity for skill adroitness and tact to adjust her hours moods and movements to the needs of the game avoiding collisions of the pieces on the board and keeping them all in active play yet never overplayed to the essential neglect of others demanded all the judgment good-nature and finesse of which thurley and alice were capable a chase could have been no more exciting merely to allay the suspicions constantly preying upon go both gaylord and faishi required breathless fencing quite absorbing in itself but the more they exacted the more grew the zest with which thoroughly entered the conflict the engagements increased in intensity day by day as if the men's impatience and new demands were multiplied yet even while they arrogated powers and assurance to themselves more strong grew thoroughly's resentment of their attitude and greater was her desire to see them levelled during all this season of uncertainty evasions backfiring on dangerous love as alice termed the game there were two persistent elements that gnawed just a bit at thurley's heart one was a certain increasing anxiety and dubiety attacking robley stiverant as he watched her movements and seemingly heartless democracy with all these admiring men the other was a series of pangs and anger excited in the breast of little mildred gray there was nothing emphatic to be done at such a juncture to allay the emotions of either robley grown so singularly isolated from the others not only by his behaviour and sincerity but as well by her own increasing regard and desire for his honest comradeship thoroughly could not approach with tenderness because of her promises to alice and the delicate situation hedging them both about she beheld his suspicions and his ardours alternate and was helpless she felt herself drawn to him day after day yet could treat him no more warmly than the men she had grown to fear and despise it hurt her to feel she must perforce be constantly misunderstood there was never a moment when she did not wish his confidence his trust and perhaps something more for which she began at last to ache before she even understood the yearning of her soul as one across a yawning chasm she sent him thoughts he could not read and she herself had not interpreted to the full extent of their meaning she knew she thrilled when he came to her side she knew she lived over the first afternoon together repeatedly always in a golden haze that lifted them both above the earth but she did not realize even then how mighty was the bond of love between them concerning mildred 
her regrets were neither so poignant nor incurable she had early resolved to put this worried little being's fears at rest at the earliest possible moment so far as she was able nevertheless she was sensitive to any one's dislike and more than the men she courted her own sex's favour this was the state of affairs at alice's palace for nearly a week and then as if the complications were not already sufficient an astonishing new element was added to the little drama that centred on thurley's head it came in the person of two extraordinary german individuals on a friday evening just at the dinner's conclusion only one sent in his card which was duly presented to alice on it was printed herr otto wenk beneath this was written desiring to see mrs van kirk and the young lady styled miss thurley o w for herzegotha alice read it to herself in bewilderment then read it aloud to thurley i don't understand it in the least she said what could it possibly mean herzegotha repeated thurley suddenly a trifle pale alice it's someone from her country looking for princess thurvinia what shall we do alice had risen galvanically good heavens well i suppose it had to come and she shrugged her shoulders we may as well see herr wank End of chapter 20